Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Terrestrial craft, how could they travel enormous distances throughout a space under the physical laws we know? Could the multiverse somehow be harnessed for such travel? What do the latest discoveries by the European Organization for Nuclear Research have to say about all this? Well, welcome to the 491, 400, I, I'm always criticizing Ben for 91th, yeah, 491st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm not Ben, as you can tell. Uh, he is a little bit late today from his train commute and should be in in just a few minutes. Anyway, those pretty scientific questions were applied to our guest. And this evening, we bring you someone who should be able to answer them. So if you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, you can call us locally at 401-766-1240, and here he comes now, or 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the USA or Canada. Robert L. Schroeder, recently retired from Hewlett-Packard after 26 years in operations and product management. He has a BA in mathematics from Rutgers University, an AS in aerospace engineering, and an MBA. He is the author of Solving the UFO Enigma, How Modern Physics is Revealing the Technology of UFOs. The book focuses on the evolution of modern physics and how recent theories are pointing toward a likely explanation of UFO physics. One of his main objectives is to generate interest among academics to help UFO researchers gather spe spectrographic data from actual UFO sightings. Bob is a U.S. Army veteran of the Vietnam War and has completed the Boston Marathon three times. He and the... Um, Uh, his wife, Carol, have appeared at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, right at the edge of our listening area, and have done radio interviews all over the country. Bob is a featured speaker at the first New England UFO conference in Leominster, Massachusetts, on October 26th. And we will have the drawing for the free tickets to that event right here in about 40 minutes. Uh, perfect, perfect. Oh, Hello, Ben. On. There we go. Hello, everybody. So, Bob, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. <laughs> uh, ben and Paul, thank you so much for having me on your show. I, I uh, really appreciate this. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. So before we go anywhere else, the casual observer might find it uh, strange that a mathematici mathematician excuse me, can't talk, such as yourself, is not only interested in UFOs, but trying to attract more scientific attention to them. So... What attracted you to the subject? Uh, okay, it actually started way back in 1957. I was 12 years old. Now everybody can calculate I my age. I haven't gone to kindergarten yet, uh, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Just to and, give a little perspective. Yeah. So anyway, uh, what happened is uh, I was standing in my front yard in Teaneck, New Jersey, which is a couple miles west of New York City mm -hmm. um, in northern New Jersey. And I looked up in the sky and I saw this, uh, it was about five o'clock in the afternoon, um, and I saw this cylindrical object that was heading toward New York City. It looked like it was at about the altitude of the uh, of jet planes, which we had just come out, the Boeing 707, back in 1957. And so it was probably around 5,000 feet. But then I, but I noticed um, it, it looked just the shape of a cylinder, of a cigarette, perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, it was gold in color, metallic looking. And then as it continued on, going east toward New York, um, I saw a round object behind it, maybe about one length of the object of the cigarette-shaped object behind it. And I thought that that might be a sphere. In fact, I thought it was Sputnik. You know, I was just a 12-year-old kid. Mm. But 
I was thinking about it, and I quickly realized it couldn't um, be the, uh, Sputnik, which had been launched about a month before, and and so this was very early November, and so uh, at that point I was I thought, you know, wait a minute. Uh, certainly it couldn't be Sputnik because why would the rocket still be up there? And second, why would the satellite be following the rocket? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, uh, I, I suddenly realized this was something really, really weird and strange. And I ran inside to get my, my, some of my brothers and sisters. I have five brothers and sisters. And, uh, I managed to get two of my brothers to come out. Uh, and they saw it just as it was disappearing over the trees headed toward New York. But then, uh, and then I'll, I'll finish this up real quick. But, um, I, I then read years later that, and you guys probably know about this, but, 1957 was one of the years when they had a, a a gigantic wave of UFOs all over the United States, mm. and and uh, and then I also read that a number of people had seen these cylindrical shaped objects. And one guy in France was walking his dog real early in the morning, and he saw one of these cylindrical-shaped objects at like 2 a.m. in the morning. And he said it looked like it was easily half a mile long. Um, and, and he said it, he thought it was 50 or 60, maybe 100 feet in diameter. And uh, so he said it was gigantic. And then as he watched it, uh, he saw a flash at the bottom. This thing was a couple thousand feet up. He saw a flash at one end of this cylindrical object, and a typical disc-shaped UFO popped out the bottom of this cylindrical-shaped object, and it shot off in one direction of the compass. And as he watched, six or seven more popped out of the bottom of this thing and ended up going in all the directions of the compass and then the object slowly gained altitude and disappeared. So clearly these are some sort of motherships and the disc-shaped object are some kind of scout craft that are uh, somehow are ferrying these scout craft from other planetary systems. Now, Ben, what does that remind you of? Remember Joe Farrier's? I was actually, I was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that. We are thinking alike now. I would consider that very disturbing. It is very disturbing. So, so Rob, uh, we had, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Joe Farrier. Uh, He published Probe Magazine in the 1960s. He was, he had the show before ours on this station for 50 years, more than 50 years. He just passed away last year, much to the chagrin of, we used to love coming in here on Mondays and talking to Joe because, you know, we'd be changing shifts, so to speak. Joe took a photograph like that in Cumberland down here, Cumberland, Rhode Island. And um, it, it had exactly what you just described. It, and as a matter of fact, I, w- I wish we were on TV sometimes because I could show that. But uh, we show that as part of our presentation. And we're giving a very brief presentation at the, the conference where you're speaking as well. And it's only going to be half an hour, but we're, we're going to show that particular slide. And it's just as you described, a craft with objects coming out. He witnessed it. He took the pictures. Huh. And um, so so th- you're right. And that was about that time. I think it was, that was I think, 63. Three no sixty seven, sometime in the sixties. But okay, um, sixty six, sixty seven was another major UFO wave. Yep. So it fits the whole it, Mothman it, thing it, too occurred in the Ohio uh, Valley in nineteen sixty six. At that time, yeah, around that. Okay, yeah. okay. So Rob, assuming. I just want to say it's, it's such a pleasure to have you here in the studio instead of in yeah. California or somewhere like Howard oh. Gessler. Yeah. But assuming that these things 
are extraterrestrial, and or some of them at least are, and they're made out of some sort of material that we can understand, something that, that, that we can understand from our own framework of thinking or chemistry or whatever. Mm-hmm. What sort of physics are we talking about here, given the maneuvers and the speed and all this business, and even the travel? Oh, okay. In, in, a, in a nutshell, Paul uh, and Ben, um, the... Um, uh, th- there's a there's actually two big questions on UFO physics. Um, number one, how do they get here from star systems that are, you know, hundreds or thousands of light years away? And number two, how do these craft uh, perform inertia-defying um, acrobatics in our atmosphere? And and those are the really two big questions. Um, and uh, I said, and by the way, that second question, inertia defying, um, the best that a jet fighter pilot, a human jet fighter pilot, can do is perhaps eight or nine G's with a G suit, a pressurized suit, and he can make turns or accelerate at eight or nine G's. Beyond that, uh, he'd be in trouble uh, physically. Uh, yet they've actually. Uh, track these UFOs on radar uh, doing uh, uh, upwards of 100 G's acceleration. And that tells me that they have somehow figured out how to overcome the force of inertia. We, we know what gravity is, but believe it or not, uh, modern physics does not know the origin of inertia and what inertia is for the audience here. Just a, a quick background. When let's say you're in your car, and and uh, and anyway, uh, you accelerate when you're pressed back against your seat. Uh, that that's the effect of inertia. Uh, your body wants to stay in constant whatever constant motion it was previously, and when you try to accelerate it, uh, the, when the car accelerates. Uh, your body is is uh, resists that change in motion, so it's resistance to change in motion. That's what inertia is, and you know we may not think about it much in relation to UFOs, but it's critical because somehow they have figured out how to overcome that force of inertia. And when I talk at the New England UFO conference, uh, I will. Um, show some slides that explain uh, how I believe they're doing it and how I believe it's related to what's going on in modern physics. Wow, I hope we get to see that. Because we're hosting the uh, movie venue. <laughs> I guess all these yeah. UFO movies. Yeah. And then we're going to be interviewing you uh, between some of We have to work that out exactly when you're going to do it because you have a book table to, to take care of as well. But So we're looking forward to that. And, folks, if you can get to that conference, please do. Uh, we're going to have the drawing tonight. If you don't win, uh, we'll give you the website. You can go to our site, behindtheparanormal.com, and certainly check out the uh, link to the New England oh, UFO conference. And uh, you can get tickets there. Uh, sooner the better because it goes up to $35 at the door, so it's a lot less than that if you don't. So uh, anyway, check that out. It should be a really great talk. Ben, did you have any questions before I Because st- I'm going to get going here. I know. I know. Uh, 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 I'll, I'll interrupt if I have anything. Okay. <laughs> yeah, please do. Okay. The issue of UFOs not just speeding away or speeding in has arisen. And, and again, we're supposed to be ghost experts. That, that's what my background is in for 40-odd years. And... Uh, but it kept it keep, keeps leading us into UFOs, you know. Mm-hmm. And our question is, uh, are we are we interpreting these things in the context of where we see them? You know, there's one case now that that's arisen where people thought it was UFOs. Turns out to be something pretty negative. But anyway, 
Uh, so the question that, so I'm asking you this as someone who doesn't know the answer to the question. Yeah. When you have UFOs, whatever they may be, appearing or disappearing in an immediate manner in front of people, uh, what is that? Is that some kind of speeding, or is the multiverse involved? What's going on here? Okay, uh, Paul, uh, that's a, f- a great question, and uh, and it's, it's actually, uh, I need to clarify things a little bit. Um, there's actually two different things going on. There's the multiverse, uh, which is the idea that there's an infinite number of universes being created out there, and and that um, uh, they are parallel. They are out there. Uh, but they aren't in contact with one another. And, uh, however, I believe what's going on in the, in the field of, uh, as far as UFOs is, uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning, the two big questions are, number one, on, as far as UFOs are concerned, number one, how do they get here from distant star systems? And number two, how do they perform inertia-defying acrobatics in our atmosphere? Um, well, on the first question, how do they get here? Uh, it looks like in our universe, which may only be one in a huge number, an infinite number of, of other universes, the multiverse, uh, it looks like our universe um, is, may consi- it may consist of 11 dimensions of space-time. Uh, that's what modern physics it's is string pointing. Theory. String yeah. theory and M theory. Mm-hmm. And modern physics is looking at that. Uh, now, it turns out that six of those 11 dimensions are curled up at every point in space-time. So we can kind of kind of forget about those. But that still leaves 11 minus 6, 5 large dimensions left over. So there's the four that we know of, the three space dimensions that we live in, plus one of time, space-time, in general relativity, uh, in everything we do in modern physics. But that leaves one extra uh, large space dimension, that fifth dimension. And what physicists are now suspecting is that in our universe, which is only one of many in the multiverse, that we may live on a four-dimensional space-time membrane and uh, and it's floating in the larger five-dimensional, well, actually 11-dimension, but we can ignore six of them because they are curled up at every point in space-time and don't impact uh, what we're talking about right now. So we'll, let's, we'll just concentrate on the five larger dimensions. Anyway, it looks like... Um, are that we live on a four-dimensional space-time membrane. So when you go outside at night and look up there at the stars, what you're looking at is part of the four-dimensional space-time membrane we live in. However, they think within our universe, um, our five-dimensional universe, there may be at least one other four-dimensional space-time membrane floating parallel to ours. And that one is referred to in uh, in modern physics, uh, in some of the theories out there, as the gravity brain. And the one... The R-A-N-E. Yeah, a, yeah. a brain for a membrane. Right. I, uh, right. uh, they shorten it to brain, uh, B-R-A-N-E. Thank you, Paul. And, uh, and, uh, and so it looks like there are two of them side by side, absolutely parallel. And the interesting thing is that one of the big questions in physics, I'm going to be uh, kind of getting into a little bit of physics here, but 
uh, they're trying to explain the weakness of gravity and gravity versus the uh, uh, relative to the other forces in nature there's only three other forces there's four all together there's the weak nuclear force there's a strong nuclear force there's electromagnetism and gravity but gravity is incredibly weak compared to the other three forces of nature and when i say incredibly weak i mean astoundingly weak um electromagnetism which is roughly um, similar to the other non-gravity forces, forces of nature, is 10 to the 36 power stronger than gravity. So that's one followed by 36 zeros. So not one zero, which is 10 times stronger, not a hun- two, two zeros, which is 100 times stronger, but 36 zeros. You can sort of think of a Googleplex or some absolutely gigantic number. But anyway, what I believe is going on is I believe the UFOs are getting to, and I'm kind of going through this fairly quick. When I do the when I do the slideshow at the New England UFO conference, I'll show it graphically, which is easier to see. But it looks like. Um, the gravitons that carry the gravity force are mostly located like 99.99999% of all the gravitons in the larger universe are located in between those two membranes. We live on something called the weak membrane related to the strength of forces on our membrane. And uh, the gravity brain, it looks like, has is is warped in such a way that it attracts virtually all the gravitons in the universe that carry the gravitational force. I think what's going on, in a nutshell, is the UFOs are getting into that area between the membranes, which is referred to as the bulk, B-U-L-K. And and what happens is where gravity is extremely strong in there, distances shrink. And general relativity tells us that. And I believe they're simply going in there and, and that's how they're traveling to the stars, um, to other stars. I, th- I think they figured out, uh, uh, relating back to Paul's original question, when we see UFOs disappear, I believe that's an indication, that is evidence of these UFOs leaving the four-dimensional weak membrane, space-time membrane that we live on, that's floating in the larger five-dimensional space-time. I believe they have figured out how to penetrate the bulk, how to pull themselves off of our membrane, and that is why, as Paul mentioned earlier, UFOs are seen to disappear sometimes. Now, this is kind of an advanced question, but in theory, is it possible to replicate that in, in, in using our technology, I should say? Um, and, um, technology that we are currently, although keep in mind, I want to keep the, I want to make sure people realize this. Um, if physicists are not thinking about UFOs, I can absolutely guarantee in a stack of Bibles, they haven't even, that's the last thing on their mind. And yeah, they're, and, <laughs> I figured. And, uh, and they're certainly not going to, um, talk about it because it could jeopardize their jobs. However, right. that's right. However, uh, the physics that is now being developed, um, as I already mentioned, looks like it may be pointing toward an explanation of UFO physics. And so, um, actually, uh, I believe that if they see certain particles 
in the in the uh, Large Hadron Collider particle accelerator mm-hmm. uh, uh, related to your question, Ben. Um, what I'd be, what I am looking for is if they do see if they create something called Kaluza Klein gravitons, which are a type of graviton that they do believe will be created in the Large Hadron Collider. That, in turn, will create something called micro-black holes. And uh, and so I believe that these two um, types of particles or entities um, are essential, are critical to how UFOs function. And if we are able to create them at the Large Hadron Collider... Um, then that'll be the first step toward understanding UFO technology. I can get into that later, but I thought I'd better let you guys ask more questions here. Okay, right. Greg. I also wanted to give our no- our phone numbers again, 401-766-1240 locally, or from uh, anywhere in the USA and Canada, 800-449-1240. I know a lot of people tell us they don't want to call in because they're so fascinated by the conversation, but... I hope that's that's the case, but I hope people can can call in and talk to uh, Rob Schroeder as well. Yes, Ben. No, no, I, I was just giving you time. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, we have five minutes to the break. Good. Okay. Uh, I I'm amazed here. Now, the, my approach to to physics, to quantum physics, and I, I'm not a physicist. My background is in theology and philosophy, so it's about as far away from math as you can get. Um, and in media work after that, there's no math really involved. I was uh, always curious about. What I was experiencing in paranormal research starting when I was in the seminary. And the same thing seemed to occur with what we refer to as ghosts and things of this kind. And the more we looked into it, uh, the more, and we work on cases for years today, mm-hmm. we find that, that they will lead to things like UFO experiences. I, I'm always referring to the case in Connecticut that started with ghosts. Somebody read my book that suggested quantum physics might be involved, or at least the multiverse idea involved in how they operate, and how, this, how these things come together and overlap or whatever. And uh, by 2009, these, these people were seeing UFOs graze. The whole area was aff- affected by this. People were getting out of their cars at night watching this. We ourselves saw strange lights and some stuff over there. And military activity, a possible base. Uh, we went with a film crew, as a matter of fact, to a, a farm that supposedly was abandoned, the best-looking abandoned farm I ever saw. And all this business, we've talked about this on the show before. Can you see, the, the, the point of the question is, can you see from what you know about the, the UFO operations and what you believe you know, could this affect all areas of the paranormal? Could Bigfoot, say, uh, be coming through or going, coming and going? Because people see him uh, or it appear and disappear in the same way. The characteristics, except for the speed, are the same, and with, with ghost phenomena as well. Could you see this sort of extending to all areas of paranormal? Okay. Uh, yep, that's a great, uh, that's another great question, Paul. And, um, I, I, I have to admit that I'm not an expert on ghosts, but, um, I do know that an awful lot of people have reported having experience, paranormal type experiences where they see like, uh, an image or something like that. And, um, and I have to admit, I had one rather unusual experience, uh, if I could mention it. Sure. Um, which, uh, does, I, I, I should mention real quickly a little bit about my, uh, my background beyond what Paul had mentioned at the beginning. I do come from a family of scientists and engineers, and so I have to say that I, you know, I grew up and, and continue to be pretty hard headed about things. Um, I'm kind of like the man from Missouri, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, 
but I did have an odd experience um, that um, that did kind of make me think that maybe there's something going on and uh, in the paranormal areas that I don't normally get involved in. But um, I was I was working on. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go through the story pretty quick. I was my wife and daughter had gone to church, and and um, and they and I had stayed home because I was working on some pull down stairs leading up to our attic, and I was on a six foot step ladder. Now, to make a long story short, um, my wife and daughter had been at church for about half an hour, and uh, and I was up on the step ladder, and I had just uh, done some nailing, and I was. And but in order to reach the nails, I had to go up one step higher. And I was doing something that I do not recommend the audience do. <laughs> uh, on the side of the step ladder, they always say face into the step ladder. But trying to get the job done quickly, I had turned around and I was sitting on the top of the step ladder with my feet down on the steps, two steps below. But in order to get to this one nail, I had to get up one more step, which is again is quite dangerous. And I and I used a nail punch and I finally got it in. And then I, I had been sitting at the top of the step ladder, so for some reason I was so focused on the nail that I had put in, I totally forgot that I had stepped up one step and I started to try to sit back down again, and and as I w- went down, I I was waiting for my bum to hit the top of the step ladder, but instead it hit that flimsy little paint can holder that uh, you know flops out from the su- back of the step ladder, and and I thought that was the top of the step ladder. I can't believe I did this, you know, and I was admiring my work. I think they say. <laughs> You know that the, uh, uh, the but anyway, what happened was, uh, uh, I, of course, that broke immediately, and I went flying six feet from the stepladder onto a hard plywood floor backwards, and and that that's a dangerous fall. Yeah, and, and <laughs> really dangerous. Oh my God! I slammed into the floor, and and I I knocked the breath out of me for a couple seconds. And then I was petrified. I thought I might have, you know, paralyzed myself or, you know, broken my vertebrae or something like that. And uh, and so then I moved my hands and I moved my feet and I, and they moved okay. So I, gra- I slowly got up and I was standing at the top of the stairs, and I'm thinking to myself, um, my God, I I got away with this one. And just then, and it was only half past the hour, and my wife and daughter should have still been in church. Um, they came running into the house. My wife came running to the bottom of the stairs. She said, Bob, and the church, mind you, was like two or three miles away. She said, Bob, are you okay? And I, I said, yeah, I am, but how did you know anything was wrong? And she said, when she was in church, she had a sensation that something terrible had happened to me. And and she grabbed our daughter Debbie, who was maybe ten years old at the, at the time, and they and they ran home as fast as they could. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned, and I I now realize that uh, you know I I'm as hard headed as I am. I realize a lot of these people who report psychic experiences, there it looks like there may be something going on, and it may very well. Uh, have something to do with the um, uh, the fifth extra dimension, the larger, the bulk, the extra uh, larger universe that we live in beyond four dimensions. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a brief break, 
And you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stick with us. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240 AM on Mondays on our new drive time slot at 6 PM. The paranormal is not what you think it is. You're going to examine the whole thing from a whole new perspective on our show, and we expect that you're going to be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need it. Be there. And we just wanted to remind you of several of the charities that uh, Ben and I have adopted. And, and first, uh, they're veterans' charities mostly. And I wanted to thank Rob Schroeder for his service in Vietnam. Not a pleasant situation. Uh, I'm a little bit younger and uh, only made it to Grenada. But uh, anyway, I uh, wanted to thank Rob for that. Our charities, of course, uh, usacares.org, wonderful group that gives financial help to veterans and their families. And, uh, for example, if, if a mortgage payment is late and they don't have it, out goes a check from, from these great people. USACares.org. They're trying to get more established on the East Coast and could use your support. Also, uh, locally, BuildersHelpingHeroes.org, uh, wonderful group that's building uh, in Burrowville, Rhode Island, right in our listening area, a home for a veteran who lost both his legs in uh, the Afghan War, and that's Ke- Corporal Kevin Dubois, uh, U.S. Marine Corps, and his wife Kayla, and uh, that's going to be uh, ribbon-cutting pretty soon. So that's the house is almost built. So buildershelpingheroes.org, uh, also homesforourtroops.org, assisting on that project as well, uh, kind of leading the charge on that. And also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, whether you're one of our Canadian listeners or not, you want to check that out. Uh, it, it's a wonderful group that helps uh, Canadian veterans through illegal uh, uh, means and uh, advocacy for legisl- legislation that supports them and, and helps them out. And as you know, ca- the Canadians have stood with us shoulder to shoulder in the war on terror in Afghanistan. So uh, it's a great uh, charity as well. So CanadianVeteransAdvocacy.org. Okay, so welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Our guest, Rob Schroeder, this evening. And uh, we wanted to uh, tell you about his book before we burn up this whole hour because it's going fast Solving the UFO Enigma How Modern Physics is Revealing the Technology of UFOs and I'm going to hold it up here for those of you who are listening on the internet because we have a webcam and you are um, depending on your I don't know whether you're fortunate or unfortunate to get a look at us <laughs> but here we are and uh, Rob tell us about the book and where people can get it and what's in it uh, okay. I guess you are talking about what's yep. in it yep. without questions uh, but. sure Yep. I'll, uh, they can buy it at amazon.com and just look at the so uh, hold it up you're on a camera uh, too uh, right over there yeah. uh, and uh, the title is Solving the UFO Enigma How Mo- and the subtitle is How Modern Physics is Revealing the Technology of UFOs and on the front cover here I don't know if you can see it but uh, there's one of the tri- a picture of one of the triangle UFOs that they saw over in Belgium in the uh, early 90s, and uh, that's uh, I talk about that in the book um, because um, they have some of the characteristics and features that I believe are indicative of the physics that we are developing right here on planet Earth. But anybody who would like to buy the book, uh, they can go to Amazon.com and uh, and it's uh, they just look up. 
the title of the book, Solving the UFO Enigma, with my name, Robert Schroeder, spelled S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R. And, and it, it would be terrific if people could buy it. My wife is still mad at me for spending so much money publishing the book. Yeah, well, we, we would have so published it, would it help. if we were still in the book business, but yeah, uh, right. very, very sparingly at this point. Okay, very good. All right. Um, yes? You got anything going on over there in the... Okay. No. No, in the sense of questions. Well, uh, well I, have, well, I have plenty. On. I have plenty. Any Bob, gears grinding up there? <laughs> uh, Bob, I'm th- I know you had a rough day in school. Bob, I'm uh, thinking back to 1952, which, like 1957, was a time when there was tremendous UFO activity, uh, including UFOs seen over the Capitol in Washington and things of this kind, uh, photographed and all this business. There was a lot of military activity at this time. There were orders, as I understand it, to shoot down UFOs in certain situations. Why was it that... The, well, I know that there were a couple of pilots lost. I was I was at East, East Hartford, Connecticut, after oh, because not in '52. I wasn't born yet, but '53 I was born. They were still talking about when I was a kid, old enough to remember a uh, crash in Glastonbury, Connecticut, the next town of a U.S. Air Force plane uh, that supposedly had been chasing a UFO, and there were a number of pilots lost in this, but none of the UFOs seemed to have been harmed, ex- unless you talk to. Frank Faschino about the, yeah. the um, Flatwoods case in, in West Virginia. There seemed to be a damaged UFO there. But in general, why do these things seem impervious to our weapons? Um, I think I know why. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, That's and, why. There, and there is really no possibility that we're going to shoot them down. And uh, Although, let me just say something um, very important. I do not believe... Uh, these alien civilizations mean us any harm. Um, although there do appear to be some instances where um, Earth uh, craft, aircraft, have been damaged by UFOs, uh, I think maybe in some cases it was self-defense, um, and, and in other cases it may have actually been accidental. I think there was a case out in Washington State where a bomber... Uh, where it, it ran into a UFO and and um, and part of its tail assembly was knocked off the aircraft and it crashed. Um, I think it's possible for accidents to occur. I do, I do think that's possible. However, I don't think these alien civilizations mean any harm. And one thing I want to point, another thing I'd like to point out real quick here, is. Um, I don't. I I think we're dealing with more than one alien civilization. I, in fact, I think we're dealing with thousands, perhaps millions, maybe billions. You know, and I and one of the interesting things about the UFO phenomena is that all these UFOs appear to behave in a similar fashion. They do do not uh, make any overt contact. Uh, with our civilization, and uh, and I know there's a lot of people that claim that they have contacted our governments and or individuals and so on like that. But um, at least I can say there's no overt um, contact with these civilizations, and that makes me suspect the fact that all of these UFOs 
probably coming from many, many different civilizations, the fact that they all behave in the same way by kind of avoiding direct contact with us suggests that they belong to a federation of advanced civilizations. And I think we're dealing with... And I think that federation has a certain protocols which they follow with developing civilizations like ours. But this should be of great interest to the audience. I, um, I believe one of the reasons why we're seeing so many UFO sightings um, in the last century or so is because... Um, This Federation of Advanced Civilizations knows that we are getting close to developing their technology. And I think that's why we're probably under much closer observation. And I think possibly within the lifetime of people living today, um, in fact, perhaps sooner than later, we may be introduced to this federation of advanced civilizations, but it will hinge upon our penetrating, our getting the physics that allows us to penetrate the bulk, that extra dimension. Okay, well, well, I'm going to ask you this because we ask every UFO guest this, and Stan Friedman is is right down the line with you, I think, on on a lot of these ideas. That's a very very plausible explanation okay I have no problem with that the the thing is that when and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that, that my framework comes from ghost and poltergeist research even possession cases where I was working with priests while I was in the seminary which is a very unusual thing for a seminarian to be allowed to do and things of that kind and when you're in the presence of these you know I, I always thought that sort of the demon explanation was our best way to understand these things. But I find their theology is not the same, if they even have one. They are very intelligent. Very, They learn very quickly. Uh, they are very... Some of them, the upper echelon species, about nine different species that I kind of pin down, as I think, uh, the upper echelon ones are very wise in the sense of their own species. But the thing is, they are alien. That's the best word I can think of. When I stood in that house in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 1974, tried to protect that little girl from that thing, of which there were four, in the room, you could see these gauzy structures. The thing had a physical body. I, I was, we, were, it was, we were pushing against each other. It got around me and threw the kid across the room. Hmm. And the, um, the thing that made me wonder was that in the presence of this thing, you know, when, when you're in the presence of another person, you feel the humanity. In the presence of a dog or a cat, you know, or any... any terrestrial creature, you feel the presence. I suppose it's the, perhaps the DC electrical fields may be interacting or whatever, but there's a certain unity there. But with these things, the only word that came to mind was alien. I suppose you could... Uh, well, that's a my, term. well, I mean... I, you, and you, you too, you, you've had... Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's my big uh-huh. gripe with exopolitics people, is how do we know that their motives are altruistic? If they're not human, how do they have human organizations, human emotions... If they're entirely alien, not to say they can't, not to say they can't, no, just saying how do there are know. other possibilities. If, if, they, so have the same, if they have consider. the same moral framework as we do, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'll do a quick answer on that. Um, I, I again, I don't believe they mean any harm. At least the the thing, the the aliens that are in the flying saucers in the UFOs, right, right. Yeah. And uh, however, uh, I, I the other and another point I would like to make is that um, so far 
uh, there's been no serious harm to planet Earth from, um, I mean, at least on a large scale. Uh, there may be individual stories here and there, um, but at least on a large scale, they haven't wiped out any cities, they haven't drained the oceans, they Not haven't lately at least. They, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they haven't flung the moon into space or yeah. anything like that. That's so, so in fairness, um, I think we have to recognize that. Um, uh, at least they are are not doing large scale damage to our planet. Uh, there could be instances where there's accidental damage, or uh, or there could be, and this is one other possibility. And and uh, p- people may find this funny, but it might be real. <laughs> I, I, can I tell a real quick story? I don't know if I have time. Yeah, we got two minutes to our drawing. Okay. Um, uh, there was a story down in Virginia, a family of four, two kids in the back seat, mom and dad in the front. They were driving along on a country road way out in the country, and um, and they, and they and they came out. They were in a tree, a, a forested area. They came out to some open fields, which were about two miles to the next clump of forest. They looked up over the forest on the other side and they saw a typical disc-shaped UFO. And so they all po- they're all pointing at it from the car. As they're driving in the open area, suddenly the UFO came flying down and stopped right in front of the car. The dad, of course, who was driving, immediately slammed on the brakes and they had to make a very sudden stop. Then the UFO fluttered a little bit and it flew back up to its original position, maybe a thousand feet up. So they waited a few moments and they started driving again. The darn thing did it again. Came zooming down and stopped the car again. And, uh, and, and so, uh, now, uh, and, and finally it flew away. But I want to point out that incident because I don't think the thing really meant any harm. I, I, I'll tell you what I think was really going on. I think they have the same kind of intelligence that humans have. I don't think they're any more intelligent than we are, by the way. And, and I think they have a sense of humor. <laughs> and, and I think that they were just having fun. And, and as a matter of fact, this could have, could be an example, and people may laugh, but it could be an example of galactic teenagers. <laughs> But I don't think they mean any harm. I do think they fool around with us occasionally. They have a little fun, but I don't think they genuinely mean any harm. And there may be the occasional accident, but clearly there's been no large-scale damage anywhere. Okay, well, I have a few comments on that, but we are, we're going to pause in a minute or two for our... Uh, drawing for the free tickets to the New England UFO conference, but I know one of the websites said we're going to do it at 6:50, and another one Eastern time, and another one 6:45. So why do we wait late 6:47 or something? Do it in the middle. Well, we have about a minute then. Okay, about a minute. All right. Um, it, the reason for the question, Rob, is is that again, this is my experience and, and Ben's somewhat too, is that there seem to be. Many, many, many different kinds of quote unquote aliens. I suppose you call it radical non humans. I suppose you, you, that, that's one term I think of in the presence of these things. The, the whole term, at least in the ones I've, we've encountered and even at times done battle with in cases that are considered poltergeists or possession or whatever, don't seem to be from, the, the term extraterrestrials really doesn't have any meaning in, in the deepest sense because they don't seem to be from other planets. That doesn't even seem to be relevant. 
they seem to live between worlds, if you will. Somehow, it's, it's difficult for our language to actually express this because it's not part of our intellectual framework or our epistemology at this point in our revolution. So, but, but be that as it may, the nature of UFOs uh, does seem to be changing from what we're told by people like Ted Phillips who's been on the show several times. Ted is a, is a fellow from Missouri who has an amazing collection of evidence of UFO physical landings. And even he has noted that the nuts and bolts craft that you described, that is certainly, I'm, I'm sure, account for many UFOs and sightings, seems to be morphing into something almost more, I don't know whether immaterial is even a meaningful word, but he said the balls of light, in the Marley Woods thing, for example, the, the balls of light, seem to be becoming more common than, uh, than the, the nuts and bolts craft. And Ben is, is stopping me here. We're going to do our, on that cheerful note, we're going to do our drawing. And we're going to shake this up here. And again, this is for two, two free oh, family we were packs it out of tickets. Hat. To the, oh, I didn't bring my hat. To the, uh, look too much like a man in black. Uh, to the um, New England UFO conference at which Rob will be one of the speakers. And we're going to pick two. So Rob's going to pick one. Here's the first. Oh, here's the first. Uh, see, anybody who's looking on the internet can see it. And we have. Oh, someone local. Oh, for real? Because people Good. from California and Florida entered. Rita Jett from Woonsocket, Rhode Island, right here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And uh, Rita, congratulations. We'll be in touch with you about your free tickets. And here's number here's two. The second. Rob yeah. has just picked. Oh, my gosh. What? I don't believe this. This is... He might have a little trouble, trouble getting here. William E. Eno, our cousin Bill, who's a big fan of the show, from Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. Oh, boy. So, uh, Bill, I hope you got your uh, plane tickets because you're going to need... That's wonderful. So, Rita Jett from Woonsocket, Rhode Island, and Bill Eno from Las Vegas, Nevada are the winners of our two free family packs of tickets. This is entirely random, everybody? Yeah, entirely random to the uh, first New England UFO conference in Lemister, Massachusetts on October 26th. We'll be in touch with you. Got your phone numbers and emails here. Thank you, Rob. Oh, you're very welcome. For drawing yeah. these, and uh, it, it, that's great. So, uh, we'll be in touch with you folks, and hopefully we'll see you there on the Indeed. 26th. All right, so... Anyway, if you remember what I was saying, what's the Yep, you? I sure do. Yep, okay. I, I can answer that one. Um, I, I, I think you're right, what you said before there. I think um, th- these are separate phenomenon, and I, I, I kind of think these things like poltergeists or uh, those other type of entities that, um, you know, that they find in houses and stuff, I think are totally separate from the UFO phenomenon. I believe the UFO phenomenon is strictly uh, creatures that are probably very similar to us. Um, and they probably look a lot like us, too. I don't think they look radically different. Um, and, they're, and they're flying in machines coming to our planet. And at the New England UFO Conference, I'll go through in yeah, my slide to talk about this. Uh, I'll be, a preview. Yeah. Yep. And I'll be talking exactly about that, uh, how I believe these machines work. And, and, and also, as Paul mentioned at the very beginning of the show, uh, very exciting, is I believe that um, if we can get um, spectral data, spectrographic data from UFO, actual UFO sightings, we can actually confirm if they are using the kind of physics that we are actually right on the cusp of developing on planet Earth. Uh, but anyway, as far as these other type of 
uh, hauntings and things like that. I think that's a separate phenomenon. However, it may have its origins in the extra dimensions so that I think just as UFOs travel in the extra dimensions, perhaps, and I'm only speculating, perhaps these um, uh, the, these ghosts and poltergeists or whatever they are, are e- in these extra dimensions as well. Again, I'm not an expert on that, and I, I simply don't know, and it's just pure speculation. Uh, my focus is strictly uh, UFOs. Uh, that's where I, I really uh, devote all my attention. Well, I certainly respect yeah. that, Rob, and I, I do tend to agree, or having seen it, I think you're, you're exactly right. Uh, because these things seem to manifest in the same areas at the same time. For example, the case we were just referring to or other cases we've been working on, mm-hmm. there are ghost phenomena, poltergeist, sometimes Bigfoot, and UFOs, not because they're necessarily related to each other, but because they, the same processes are occurring over an entire area and allowing them to, to sort of interact or, or be seen or, or even intentionally come through. So it's yeah. very interestingly complicated in a kind of a simple way, so to speak. Yeah. So, that, so that's very interesting. But we're, we're kind of coming down on the wire here. We've got to get a few more minutes. But um, before we get into, well, actually, I wanted to get into some more questions. Um, I'm thinking of um, the possible danger from UFOs, even if it's unintentional. Oh, we do have a caller. Okay. We have a call, and uh, Ben gets the person on the line here. Hello. All right. Hi there. Welcome to the show. You I a, thought, uh, yeah, you have a question for uh, Rob Schroeder? I have a comment. Sure. Um, I had heard a program recently uh, where Einstein talked about traveling uh, faster would put time backwards and people would possibly disappear. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know your name. My name's Donna. Hi, Donna. Hi. Uh, um, you very know, interesting program. Oh, oh, no. Oh, this is great. We love questions. I'm very happy you called. And uh, I'm sure everybody's happy. Um, I, I want to say, Donna, that um, on special relativity tells us nothing can go faster than the speed of light because as an object approaches the speed of light, its mass increases to infinity. So it, uh, we literally wouldn't have enough energy in the universe uh, for to push an object faster than the speed of light. There are theories that there are uh, particles that go faster than the speed of light but they don't start slower than the speed of light they're they always travel faster however uh donna i think these ufos are do not need to um go faster than the speed of light in fact what they're really doing is they're going to a parallel space time where space time is compressed and i'll give a quick example there that'll clarify this I, I um, think I understand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but this is a very interesting thing. Um, it looks like Alpha Centauri is the closest star pl- system to our star, our planet, Earth, and it's 4.3 light years. If we had to go in a uh, rocket ship or the best uh, ion-powered craft that we could develop, it would still take us thousands of years to get there. And... Uh, and however, and, and that's at sublight speeds, we just simply can't go that fast. It, but, there was a, oh, uh, excuse me, 
there was another um, thing mentioned. Okay. I just want to quickly throw in. Oh, sure. That the, the Nazis, that symbol that they have. Uh, it's the swastika? The, right, correct. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hard to say. Um, that, that possibly had come from UFO sightings. And it's also across other places in the world. And that they had a, a hinge, a hedge hinge, and a bell that they supposedly launched and got information from from, from UFOs. Is that um, the, do you think it was quite an interesting program? And Do- Donna, um, it, my opinion, and it, it's just my opinion, uh, I, I'm sure that um, uh, Nazi Germany did not have UFO technology. And the reason I know that is I know quite a bit about technology. I come from a family of scientists and engineers. And although they did have very good technology, the V-2 rocket, the, v, the V-1 buzz bomb, the jet fighters, they developed the first jet fighters and things like that. However, everything that they developed, uh, we know today and certainly back then, what was based on conventional technology, uh, although adv- an advanced form of conventional technology. But if you do make it to the New England UFO Conference, you'll see how I think these UFOs work. And it has nothing to do with the, the kind of aeronautical technology that, that is currently being used and was used back in World War II. Okay, great. Yes, I, I understand. And okay. It, it's just that they also said that they found nuclear waste on the ground oh, from ancient... Well, well that's it. Yeah, you should read my, my book, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, because I get into ancient nuclear explosions, Donna. Right. <laughs> but I'm afraid we're, we're, we're just about out of time. Right. Okay, but, it was, but it was thank wonderful you. talking yeah. to you. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling. Thank you for the question. All right, okay. thank you. All right, very good. Okay, so uh, I just wanted to, again, the New England UFO Conference, we're going to talk about that in our announcements. But, again, uh, thank you, Bob. It's been a great conversation. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, stick around, which is good because you're right here in the studio. You don't have to go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, and, again, congratulations to our winners. We will uh, be in touch with you about uh, your tickets, Bill Eno in Las Vegas and uh, Ms. Jett from here in Woonsocket. So. Okay. Yeah, so in the meantime, you can visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 500 free podcasts of all of our past shows. You can also check out our site at www.NewEnglandGhosts.com, where there are case studies and photos, along with articles by my dad. And, of course, just a reminder, too, that if you didn't win the tickets this evening, you can still buy them at neufoconference.vpweb.com. There's a link on the BehindTheParanormal.com site. And it will be a great time. Bob Schroeder, our guest this evening, will be a featured speaker along with some of the other UFO experts who are regulars on our show, Stanton Friedman, Kathleen Marden, and Peter Robbins, among others. Uh, Ben and I will host the UFO movie venue. We'll interview speakers before a live audience, and we'll present a program of our own briefly on UFOs and the paranormal after dinner. Uh, On November 10th, we are scheduled to do our 500th show, officially, and that will be on our Sunday CBS Radio edition. We'd like to hear your suggestions for what you'd like us to do on the show. The prevailing opinion is that we should do a wrap-up of our best shows since our debut in 2008, but boy, that's going to be a lot of work. So let us know on Behind the Paranormal uh, show webpage on Facebook. Drop us a line at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or uh, just through the website, or, or here at WON 1240 AM, 985 Park Avenue, Winsocket, Rhode Island, 02895. Okay. 
All right, and uh, next Monday, October 14th, we had uh, planned to do a rebroadcast because everybody here at ON1240 will be tied up at uh, the local Autumn Fest, in, including myself. But our station manager has said that we can do a live show after all, uh, but beginning at 6.15 Eastern Time instead of 6. So uh, unless uh, we can find a guest pronto, it will be an open line show. Okay. People usually don't <laughs> complain about those. Right. We leave you this evening with some wisdom from American author and historian Thomas B. Macaulay. Quote, I would rather be poor in a cottage full of books than a king without the desire to read. I love that quote. This is Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.